The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast. This is your host, Michael Bachlig, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Bryce Kirk. And we are back in the upper room at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Springdale, Arkansas, for another episode in our podcast series. Bryce and I have been spending a lot of time together over the past week, more than usual, actually. We traveled together to St. Ignatius Orthodox Church in Franklin, Tennessee at the end of last week, and we just got back home to Northwest Arkansas a couple of days ago. This was the first diocesan-wide in-person event in our diocese since before COVID hit about a year and a half ago. And, and Bryce, I don't know about you, but it sure felt good to be back at a spiritual retreat in person with people from all over the diocese. Yeah, thank God. Um, it was great to be around old friends and some new ones as well and being able to be in that environment, um, all worshiping together and all experiencing some wonderful talks together as well was a highlight of the year, honestly. Yeah, for me as well. Every time we attend a spiritual retreat in the Diocese of Miami in the Southeast, they just seem to get better and better. And the fellowship that we experience at these events, it really goes beyond description. All of the talks that you alluded to, Bryce, and even the workshops, they just went very smoothly, thankfully, and they were all so helpful. I was actually just talking to my wife the other day about how spiritually refreshed we felt after the retreat, even if we were physically a little tired after having participated in as much as we possibly could over those two and a half days that we were there. We were even able to bring all three of our children to the retreat with us this time, and they really enjoyed it too. And I'm not exaggerating at all when I say that my marriage and my relationships with my children were really transformed during the retreat, and I'm so grateful for that. Bryce, what were some of your favorite parts of the retreat that we just attended? I would say, in addition to what I said earlier, and being able to be there with you and your family, Michael, and another young man from our, our parish was absolutely a blessing. I got to uh, help serve liturgy on Saturday morning as a altar server with some other young men, and that was beautiful to see. Being in the presence of Bishop Nicholas is always a blessing. Being able to spend some time with him bowling with the young adults on Saturday night was a uh, excellent experience as always. And I just think every talk to really kind of hit at the mental and spiritual struggle that a lot of people are going through during the COVID pandemic, as well as just the life of an Orthodox Christian. And really, you know, we talk about communion a lot and being in a communion of people who all share the same faith, who all go through the same walks of life or from a similar part of the country as you or maybe from a different country and sometimes being able to experience that time with people has been an absolute blessing, like I said, and, you know, being able to return tired, but refreshed at the same time was just wonderful. Yeah. There are so many highlights for me personally from the fall retreat that we were just at. 
One big one for me happened on the second day at the end of the brunch. Father Stephen DeYoung from Archangel Gabriel Orthodox Church in Lafayette, Louisiana, was honored with the first ever Antiochian Men's Service Award. Many of our listeners may recognize Father Stephen's name from the very popular Lord of Spirits podcast, as well as from his Bible study podcast on Ancient Faith Radio titled The Whole Council of God. Father Stephen is also the author of The Whole Council blog, which I know has a big following as well. It was really wonderful that His Grace Bishop Nicholas was able to give Father Stephen that award in person at the fall retreat, and it was a very well-deserved award, as Father Stephen has been volunteering so much of his time over the last two years with hosting a men's Bible study virtually for the men in our diocese. Those Bible studies are actually still going on, and they're on the third Thursday of each month. And at the time of this recording, we actually have 25 Bible study videos on our Amen YouTube channel that are available to view. Each video is about an hour and a half long, and they are really amazing. Bryce, I know you've attended many of those Bible studies live and no doubt have gotten a lot out of them. Yeah, being able to learn more about Old Testament, I guess, titans, if you will, like Abraham and David, has been an absolute godsend. And just being able to understand the context of the time, understand the lives that they were living, looking at the scriptures themselves... Um, having Father Stephen's direction and even the presence of Bishop Nicholas at many of these events as well has been a really refreshing thing in the middle of the week, and I'm absolutely excited to see where it continues to go. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone listening is interested in watching those Bible study videos, they are all done live, but we do record them and they're on our YouTube channel. So just go to youtube.com forward slash Amen Domsey, which is A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E, and look for the virtual Bible study playlist. Father Stephen went through the story of King David the prophet in the first 23 Bible studies, and now has started to go through the story of Abraham with us. I hope some of those listening will go and check out those videos, which can also be viewed on our website at antiochianmen.org. Well, Bryce, the last couple of episodes in our podcast, we were bragging on the Razorback football team, but now they've unfortunately lost three games in a row. So sad. But they're still doing much better than last year, and it's great to see them competitive again, at least. Yeah, I mean, SEC football is a completely different animal. (laughs) That's right. And, you know, I'm still proud of the boys. Um they really are a uh, a good bunch of guys over there. And I do hope going forward, you know, they can right the ship and I'm confident in the coach. I'm confident in the team and we just have to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're so close to the University of Arkansas physically, even sitting here in the upper room at St. Nicholas Church. It's probably a 20 minute drive to the campus, if that. And so we definitely want to support our local team. And especially since Bryce here is still a student for the time being, even though there's not much time left. But we'll uh, continue to root on those hogs. Well, in the last few episodes of this podcast, we've been going through the article, Why Orthodox Men Love Church by Frederica Matthews Green. And in this episode, we're actually going to be finishing up the last two sections of the article, which are subtitled Men in Balance and then Men in Leadership are the subtitles. And as a reminder to everyone listening, we have this article posted on our website. If you'd like to follow along with the article, just go to antiochianmen.org, scroll down and click on view and download Amen documents, and you will see the article at the top of the page that it takes you to. So let's get back to it and start with the section that is subtitled Men in Balance. Bryce, why don't you start us off? 
Sure thing, Michael. So she begins by writing, a priest writes, quote, There are only two models for men. Be manly and strong, rude, crude, macho, and probably abusive, or be sensitive, kind, repressed, and wimpy. But in orthodoxy, masculine is held together with feminine. It's real and down to earth, neither male nor female, but Christ who unites things in heaven and things on earth, unquote. This really reminds me of something we hear about a lot in our culture today. The term toxic masculinity is thrown out a lot these days. The problem that I see, Bryce, with the use of this term is that it presupposes that there is a kind or a version of masculinity that is toxic and a kind that is not. The truth is there is only one kind of authentic masculinity. When people hear toxic masculinity, they may be confused into thinking that there is something inherently wrong with being a man and that there is a dark side to being authentically masculine. I think those people that throw around this term are really trying to get men to think this way. They want men to become more like women, but men aren't women, they're men. We actually have a video on this topic on our Amen YouTube channel, and in it, our spiritual father to the Antiochian men, Father Hans Jacobsi, gives a great response to the use of this term. I highly recommend that everyone listening to this watch that video. In that video, Father Hans tells us that there's really no such thing as toxic masculinity, because the only thing that really exists is toxic people. People can be toxic. People who can bring poison into relationships, for example. And it has to be dealt with appropriately and in a Christian way. And it takes some understanding and discernment on how to do this. Father Hans also said that the term toxic masculinity objectifies masculinity as if it's an element divorced from the person and gives it a negative cast and becomes pejorative. The lie hidden within it is that masculinity can somehow be extracted from the person, but it can't because masculinity and femininity are expressed by persons. People who use this term of toxic masculinity are trying to brand all of masculinity as toxic and thus are insinuating that all males have the potential of sharing this toxicity and can be compelled to self-identify their own masculinity as toxic. So it has a very political and polemical character. I think those who have been propagating the concept of toxic masculinity have actually been pretty effective to some degree. There's such an assault on this toxic masculinity in our culture today, and it has become an assault on masculinity in general. And many men have assimilated the invective of this assault, and they have lost their way. Well, I mean, Michael, I generally agree with that premise, at least in the sense that there's an expectation of what it means to be masculine. And I think people put that on a spectrum a lot of the time. So if you were to look at a political compass, for example, there's four, four sections, right? There's four sections of political thought, generally speaking. And the same, some might say, can be said for masculinity. Whereas, at least in the Orthodox perspective, we put those we put our own perspective above all those other ones. Right. And, you know, to the point of toxicity, I think that's more or less a broad term. I think anybody can be toxic. Yeah. And, you know, I think people do have the potential to be aggressive. They do have the potential to really be toxic in general, which at times I do think that can be an overused term. But I don't think it's necessarily specific to either masculine or feminine. I just think it's something that can be, that can affect anybody. And I do think that the culture has something to play in that. Not solely people are responsible for themselves, but 
you have a cultural influence that tells you to be one thing or the other. And perhaps it's present in your families. Perhaps it's present in your social circles as well. But I definitely think that after becoming Orthodox and seeing how the men interact, you know, the role of men and the role of women too, we have different roles that we play. And those things kind of make the whole machine go. And we all represent the body of Christ according to those two things. Yeah, and I, I think that this topic is a really fascinating one because I I think that those that are using this term toxic masculinity, they really have an agenda and they want men to really have a lot of self-doubt and maybe even become a little bit softer in all of the ways that they present themselves, whether that's at work, with their family. But there are masculine virtues that can involve toughness, aggressiveness when done in the right context. Having strength, for example, if that's used for the protection or in service to people, there's nothing wrong with that. So I think the narrative has really been hijacked in the culture today, where when you hear this term, toxic masculinity, you're conflating toxicity and masculinity and, and making it seem like that they're one in the same. There's really, I think, a psychological impact that this has had on men and really on everyone to think that there's this side of being authentically male that is inherently wrong, and that's just a lie. I think this is an interesting topic, but again, I want to direct people to watch that video, The Myth of Toxic Masculinity, which is on our YouTube channel. I think you all will definitely enjoy watching that, and it will offer a really good perspective from our spiritual father in the Antiochian men. I will continue on with the next part of the article. Another priest comments that if one spouse is originally more insistent about the family converting to orthodoxy than the other, quote, when both spouses are making confessions, over time they become deepened and neither one is as dominant in the spiritual relationship. Well, Michael, she makes a really good point there. And to kind of bounce off what you were saying earlier, you know, being able to witness you and your wife going to the retreat, you both have diocesan obligations, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you both willingly wanted to go. You both willingly went together, you know, husband and wife are one, essentially. Yeah. And there's that synergy there, you know, and it's not like you told her to go, so she went, right? It's it's a partnership. Right. And, you know, being able to see that and seeing the benefit there, and it wasn't just you guys either, it was every other couple I saw, it was, you know, clergy with their wives, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, just being able to be in that environment. And we see that in the church all the time, you know, husband and wife coming together, or, you know, your spouse is Orthodox and you're Orthodox too, and you both get married in the church, that sort of thing. And the retreat itself, you know, God willing, if you are out there and you're listening to this and your diocese is able to do something, your metropolis is able to do something, like this, definitely take a chance at it and even observe when you're in church, you know, and I, I myself want to take this into account, being able to witness how couples interact in the church and, and the partnership that it is, Yeah, not th the dominance. That's really well said, Bryce. And speaking about all the couples that we saw there, I noticed that as well. It seemed like those couples were, I could almost see them growing closer together spiritually as they were attending the talks and the workshops and just engaging in fellowship with other couples. Whenever you see a husband and a wife together that are completely focused on the same thing, and that's becoming more like God, that's worshiping God in the services, or going to like the retreat we were just at that you were talking about, Bryce, it even goes deeper than that, and it starts at the very beginning. This article was talking about 
you know, a family converting to orthodoxy. As you know, and as I've mentioned, I've been orthodox my whole life. My current wife, I'm remarried in the church by the grace of God. She converted to orthodoxy a couple years ago. At the time, I didn't really know all the answers to her questions, I am embarrassed to say. And as a cradle orthodox, someone who's been orthodox his whole life, you know, there were things that I just unfortunately didn't take as seriously, and I went through the motions. But her catechism really ended up becoming my own, and I was just as motivated to learn as she was through her conversion. And so we went through that catechism together, and we committed to it together from the very beginning. And now, you know, it's no wonder, Bryce, that she and I both want to attend these spiritual retreats, because we know how spiritually rewarding that they will be. And after each one, just like I said earlier, I feel so much closer to my wife, and I am confident that we're both at least striving and headed towards the same goal. And I think that's kind of what this part of the article is talking about. For those that come in with a spouse and start the journey to orthodoxy, for example, together, you have a support system, but you also have unity within your own family. And that is such a critical thing, I think, that can help set people up for success. Let's go ahead and move on to the final section of the article subtitled Men in Leadership. All right. So continuing, uh, she writes, like it or not, men simply prefer to be led by men. In orthodoxy, lay women do everything lay men do, including preach, teach, and chair the parish council. But behind the iconostasis, around the altar, it's all men. One respondent summarized what men like in orthodoxy this way, beards. This may be one of the more controversial parts of the article. Just listening to you reading it made me cringe a bit on the inside because it's definitely not the kind of thing you hear people say out loud these days. The concept that men prefer to be led by men doesn't really fit well in with the dominant culture around us. And why is that? Why do we have this tendency to self-censor ourselves and hesitate to say these kinds of things? I think that there's a concerted effort by many to try and convince people that there's really no difference between male and female, and that both exist, like you were saying earlier, Bryce, on some kind of a gender spectrum where a person can move one way or the other depending on what they feel inside of themselves. I also think this deception has been craftily hidden under the guise of the concept of equality. And some even go so far as to preach that women are equal to men in every single way. But if you look at it on a material level, men and women really aren't equal. Men tend to be taller and stronger than women in general. Why else would there be separate leagues for men and women in sports? This speaks to the fact that there is a concrete difference between men and women. We hear about equality and inclusion in the workplace all the time these days, and it is given such a high priority in almost all aspects of our experience in corporate America, for example. This has led to people being promoted based on their sex, ethnicity, and other distinguishing factors, in some cases, over those who are more qualified for the job. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that there are some fantastic leaders out there who happen to be women, but what I am talking about is what seems to be an overcompensating for the fact there happen to be more men than women in leadership roles. Is that really a bad thing? I think the message we are hearing is that it is a bad thing. I've also heard many say that men are more often guilty of abusing the power that comes with leadership. I do think that the abuse of power has occurred across time in every culture. And I do think that, you know, putting your trust in princes, as it were, whether it actually be government officials or be, you know, of a more secular nature, it doesn't seem to be the way to go. 
and understand wanting to have representation in the workplace, understand wanting to have representation there. But when I think of church hierarchy, right, Michael, you and I have a bishop. Yeah. Orthodox around the country have bishops. Around the world have bishops. And our bishops are our leadership, right? They represent Christ as the king. Mm -hmm. And submitting to the bishop, I mean, one of our earliest saints, St. Ignatius, says about subjecting yourself to the bishop wherever he is. That's right. And understanding the authority of the church, yeah, again, that sounds pretty dirty, right? That sounds like something that we don't want to do because mm-hmm. perhaps in the West we have this idea of a rugged individual, you know, no man with a king, right? Yep. But in the context of the church, at least it seems that our authority is there to protect us and to guide us. Right. And oftentimes, most of the time, unless you're at a female monastery with an abbess, and even she is subject to the bishop, but your leadership for the most part is going to be men. Mm-hmm. And that has been God ordained, right? This isn't a man's world. It's not a woman's world. It's God's world. Yeah. <laughs> and God is a director. What he has decided in his church is that men are in leadership positions in the episcopacy. Yeah. And I mean, like, like the author says, you know, there's women in leadership roles all over the church, mm-hmm. you know, and they do a fantastic job. Um, but there's a reason why it's different in the hierarchy. Yeah. And we talked about the fact that the Orthodox Church has an all-male clergy in a previous episode, but I really want to emphasize that in the Orthodox Church, we're taught about the proper understanding of leadership and authority, and you were just talking about that. I want to go to Matthew chapter 20, verses 27 and 28, and Christ himself says, "...and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave." just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The concept of servant leadership, Bryce, is something that was introduced for the first time by Jesus Christ. At the time, this was a very radical concept. This means that anyone blessed with power and authority has the responsibility to serve others. Those who do not are not following the teachings of Christ, and some may even abuse that power. You might say that those could be toxic people, like we talked about earlier, and those include both men and women. Now, let's take this a step further. Let's take one of the most controversial sections of the New Testament, by today's standards anyway. Bryce, why don't you read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 30. All right, so let's just get right into it. Uh, St. Paul writes to the Ephesians, "'Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord.'" For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are the members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Okay, with that section of scripture, so much attention is usually put on the first part these days on the wives submitting to their husbands part. And in the context of today's society, this is often seen as something outdated 
or even intentionally misinterpreted out of context to appease those who are scandalized by it. You know, we mentioned the men's Bible studies we've been doing earlier, and in one of those Bible studies, Father Stephen DeYoung makes the point that in the ancient world, the wives submit to your own husband's part was not controversial at all because wives at that time didn't have a choice one way or the other. The culture back then was completely different from now. The controversial part in the ancient world was the husband's love your wives part, which is what I want to focus on. So husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I don't think any of us really realize how powerful that is. When we look at the life of Christ in the Gospels, how he ministered to people, the sufferings that he voluntarily endured for the church, including his crucifixion and death, there is no more powerful example of what it truly means to die to yourself for others. Husbands being the head of the wife, then, is not properly understood as being some kind of tyrant or dominating the wife. Not at all. Being the head of the wife, being the head of the household... That comes with a deep expectation from God and a responsibility that we as men have a duty to live up to. And I think this transfers well to any form of leadership in that Christ gave us the model for what servant leadership truly is. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It can be turned into a political fight for many people, Um, but it doesn't need to be, especially when, when understood under the context. And I mean, a lot of the scripture is that way. People don't understand the context, and especially with the second part, Michael, I'd really never heard that, that the second part of the verse, husbands also love your wives as Christ loved the church, was a controversial thing back then. Yeah. Because nowadays it seems as though both of those things should work more in synergy now than they did back then, but to many that just doesn't seem like it's a viable option. Those are really good points, Bryce. Let's move on to the next paragraph in the article. It's the last place in the world men aren't told they're evil simply for being men. Instead of negativity, they are constantly surrounded by positive role models in the saints, in icons, and in the daily round of hymns and stories about saints' lives. This is another concrete element that men appreciate. There are other real human beings to look to rather than a blur of ethereal terms. The glory of God is a man fully alive, said St. Irenaeus. One writer adds that, quote, the best way to attract a man to the Orthodox Church is to show him an Orthodox man, unquote. Well, where do I begin here? Um, there's so many men that I've met in the church that have been excellent role models to me um, and have showed me kind of what it means to be a man. You know, I think of our parish priests. Both of them are, have been great men. Father Hans, the spiritual advisor at the Antiochian Men, another one. Bishop Nicholas. Um, Reader David, our choir director here, uh, men I've never met, like Subdeacon Steve from Our Life in Christ on Ancient Faith, um, and the list just goes on. And so I think with that, you know, being able to observe them in their lives, and everybody's different. You know, even you, Michael, have been a great influence to me, and being able to see how everyone operates, everyone does their own thing. You know, my, my godfather as well, he's in the military being able to see him as an Orthodox man and being able to see him interact with his family, seeing men interact with their family, seeing men lead the church, seeing men lead their flock like Bishop Nicholas. And the influence that they take from that is 
not from themselves, it's from Christ, and it's from his church, and again, it's from the saints, you know, before them. I remember a priest told me once, and I think I've mentioned this before, but, you know, a monk told him, you should want your people, you should want your parishioners to be like the people on your walls. Mm. And not because they themselves were so great, and they were, but they weren't great because of themselves. They're great because of Christ and because of the lives they lived for him. And being able to see each person as an icon of Christ. You know, this quote from St. Irenaeus is wonderful. The glory of God is a man fully alive. Just imagining that. What does it mean to be fully alive? How do you become that? You know, like observing men in the church and wanting to be like them and and wanting to do that as God wills it for you, I suppose. Yeah, Bryce. And you know, one beautiful thing that I've learned over the last few years is the importance of being in a brotherhood in your church community, learning from men who are more experienced than you. I've learned so much from clergy, from elders, just even just people that are older than me that have been giving to the church, volunteering and serving the church for many, many years. I've learned so much from them. And you know, being a mentor or a guide to others, that's something that we talk about a lot in the Antiochian men. It's really important that especially younger men can be mentored and that older men can be guides to these younger men and to help show them the way, not to tell them what to do or to try to order them around, but really to truly come alongside them and to show them through their experience the best path forward in different situations and to also help them to try to find the right answers to questions that they may have as they're progressing through life and as they're gaining experience in their own way. Bryce, why don't you go ahead and finish off the very last paragraph in this article? Sure thing. So she continues, but no secondary thing, no matter how good, can supplant first place. Quote, a dangerous life is not the goal. Christ is the goal. A free spirit is not the goal. Christ is the goal. He is the towering figure of history around whom all men and women will eventually gather, to whom every knee will bow, and whom every tongue will confess. Unquote. What a great conclusion to this article, and it is so true. We shouldn't be thrill-seekers or people who are just trying to go through the most intense version of Christianity to prove something. That's not what it's about. It's not what it's about at all. Orthodox Christianity has been and always will be about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He truly is the way and the truth and the life for all of us. We simply need to take up our cross and follow Him. Now that we've gone through this entire article, I wanted to share some final thoughts. In our first episode, we talked about how one of the goals of this podcast was going to be to point people back to the importance of community. We have talked about a lot of important topics that were brought up in this article, but I think it's critical to emphasize that we really need to be part of a church community to fully realize the many spiritual benefits that are available to us in the church. It happens through our participation in the sacramental life of the church. It is not something that can be fully realized by sitting at home and watching a live stream. You can't fully understand it by staying on the internet and learning about what the Orthodox Church is from websites and from social media. There is so much depth to Orthodox Christianity. It's so esoteric, it's so cosmic, it's so beautiful, it's so out of this world, it's so heady, so mystical. And it's very easy to think that it's not practical, but that's simply not true. The Orthodox Christian faith and way of life is an imminent daily practical reality, and it is because of our theology of the Holy Trinity. We can't know ourselves by ourselves, 
because God knows himself as persons in communion. And that is the only way we can know ourselves. In fact, it's indispensable. We will inevitably be confused about ourselves outside of community, and it will only add to the chaos in our lives. If you're listening right now and you're not part of a church community, you really need to join one. Don't just join one on paper by showing up one Sunday per year and sending a regular tithing check. That is not true membership. We all have God-given talents that can and should be used in the church, and we all must be active participants. The more services that you attend, the more of the ascetical disciplines that the church prescribes that you apply to your life, the more you'll be able to come out of the chaos in your life. If you don't believe me, I challenge you to try it. If you do try it, don't go through the motions. Be intentional and pay close attention to everything that's happening. Get to know the people in the community and look for opportunities to serve the church and to serve your neighbor. If you really commit to it, you will really be blown away by the transformation and healing that can be found in the church and the order that it will bring to your life. I think you had some really good points, Michael. And the only thing that I can really add is, you know, I mean, just start going. You know, start small. Like, that's what I did. That's what Michael did when he came back to the church is we just showed up and we were present. You know, in the liturgy it says to lay aside all earthly cares. And I think about that every time I hear it. I think about that every time I'm in the building. That's easier said than done, but just being present and being a part of that, it's a start of something beautiful. Very well said, Bryce, as always. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all so much for listening to this series of podcast episodes that went through the article, Why Orthodox Men Love Church by Frederica Matthews Green. Please remember to check out our website at antiochianmen.org and also the many videos that can be found on that website as well as on our Amen YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and any of the major podcast platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We would also appreciate a positive review if the platform allows it for you. If anyone would like to send us feedback or questions, just send an email to amendomse at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E at gmail.com. We look forward to continuing this podcast, so check back for new episodes coming very soon. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.